0: comfortable with. So we're glad that you're here, and I want to make just some observations uh, on this church. I've been here now full-time for a little bit over a year, and we've been you know, separate separated for three months, and I am want to read a very short psalm, and then I'm going to kind of make some comments on it. Psalm 133, <laughs> excuse, excuse me, it says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robe. It is if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing even life forevermore. It is no secret that, well, getting close to a year and a half, a year and three quarters ago, there was an issue with the church, and I'm not here to rehearse that. But I am here to say that we've come out the other end. And when I see unity like what we have, it is an attractive thing. It is a really attractive thing. And some of the marks of unity that I see is just, I'm just got like, I'm I'm up like 500 feet and I'm looking down, I don't see any dissension. I don't see people bickering, people having problems. I, I see people caring for each other. I see people loving each other and the other, yeah, this is this is more of a practical thing, but I see that one of the aspects of unity is when you make budget. It's just one of those things. There's a whole series of things, but for three months we didn't gather and we're still on budget. And you should be commended for that. Philippians 2 says, do nothing out other- of Selfish ambition or empty conceit, and in humility, consider others as more important than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And this church maybe isn't doing that perfectly, but you're doing it pretty nicely. And it looks attractive from where I'm sitting, and it has to look attractive to the outside community. And for that, you should be commended. I mean, I'll come up here and I'll tell you where you're falling short, but I think it should be also be a time where we, we tell you where I think you're doing pretty good keep it up so I want to start with that that we should rejoice that we can come here and we have unity we love for each other we want to eat with each other we want to have a cup of coffee with each other that's a good thing that's a week because the opposite is not attractive so with that we want to worship we want to we want to sing together so I'm gonna pray and Katie if you come on up then we're gonna we're gonna begin so father we want to invite you you to be here among us, that the the praises that we sing, three months now, in retrospect, they went by fast, but at the time, they drug on, and it is great to be with fellow believers, where we can worship the same God, with unity of heart, for love for one another, so we thank you for those blessings, because they are from you, in Christ's name.
1: All right, we're going to think of our Kindles again. My dad is home today. So Kindles. we're going to start with number 32, a complete stand. 32. Comes after 31. Thanks for clarifying. It's been a while but you. know.
2: Just Thank you.
1: I'm going to see if I can get some but I don't I think that's only after they've uploaded them.
3: Oh, well, might be a small false alarm there, Joe.
1: Yeah, because this is terrible. Like now it's not even coming in.
3: What are we going to do
2: today, Joe? Uh, I need to. <laughs> No, I'm not on mute. Okay,
1: we'll try and start. I don't video. I don't want to be videoed. Do we have
2: any
1: prayer requests? Right? I don't want to. Right? If I started video, then I would be on a screen for them. I don't want that.
2: Do so you know how grandma be
3: doodles and writes on everything? I have to oh, mute baby. Here. She did it. Mute your things. She kept the bracelet that came off from
1: Ginny, tell everybody to mute their devices, please. I, I oh, think <laughs> mine. issues with his heart and his lungs and so they're they're doing better now because they stopped her down there that deals with this sort of thing but first, they were just devastated with their first child and so they found this out some time ago already and she lost a brother uh, to cancer when he was 10 so of course, it's just so devastating in their first and but he got all the clearance to, with the Air Force to go. But he, either, according to Darlene, she's due more at the end of the month, but I think you're going to, and they sent him down there with this doctor, and there's a, a McDonald's house there too, that they're staying mm-hmm. and yeah. he got clearance to go. So, so they really don't know until he's actually here, but it's just it's devastating. It's, it's the, a uh, big, <laughs> long name.
0: Couples do this now, well, but is the baby name?
1: No, no, but can't. No, but no, because you know, couples don't always agree. I don't know <laughs> if you had that early <laughs> <laughs> And so they're going through that, and we read Stevens on Sunday, with Darwin, and Darlene came up, and they were talking about this, and yeah, one likes this, but they kind of, and this grandma, great grandma, don't always voice her opinion if you want know, to, but I thought, too, this little kind of needs a name instead of baby hairs, you know, but they're working on that, okay. but we don't know. That's okay, just,
2: but
0: fair enough. Anybody else? It's
1: just devastating.
0: Oh, it would be her first baby, yeah.
2: In second, third, it would be second or third. Anybody else?
0: We're gonna pray for. Okay, let's uh, let's pray for a little bit, and then we can uh, open God's Word and see what it has for us. But Father, we want to come before a merciful and gracious Savior this morning, and we know that you hear our prayer. And for whatever reason, you love you love it when your people pray. You love it when we're before the throne of grace, and we talk to our Lord God Almighty. So that's what we're doing this morning. We want to honor you as Savior and Lord and Creator and Ruler and Redeemer. We want to recognize that you are everything that we need and far more. Our problem is we don't recognize it. The Father, this morning we want to bring before you not only that we love you and we care about you and we want to bring worship and praise to you, but we also want to bring some of our Our petitions and our requests and probably at the top of the list is this little baby Harris. Is any parent that has a baby that's going to come into this world, they've been given the news that all is not well can be very difficult. So Father, we ask that you would work in the lives of this baby and that you would cause a miracle that this baby would be born healthy and whole. We ask that through this all that the parents would draw draw closer to the savior and realize that you are the healer, you are the creator of, of babies and, and all that is. So we'd ask that you would intercede, intercede and intervene on their behalf. Father, I want to pray for, for Dean and Dawn as they're in Canada and
3: they're kind of stuck over there
0: and they can't join us. And I know there are things beyond their control that are prohibiting that. So we ask that this virus would diminish that in our sphere of influence that we would be able to gather as people from all over and they would not be restricted or constricted by this that we'd be able to to meet again and not have this this cloud over us that there may be a virus that we'd be able to get by this father we pray for our church leadership as they make decisions regarding activities now and as we move forward that you give them wisdom and a continuing sense of unity in our group and for Brian Lane, he waits for a kidney and a pancreas transplant. Every day is a, a special day for him. He's waiting for something that he can't live without. So we ask that you would provide provide for him and, and for, for uh, Pauline and Mike as they're in a unique journey. And she is slowly being torn away from him. And we ask that you give that family a piece that passes all understanding that they would realize that the Savior is in control, that he is watching over them and he has not abandoned them. And Father, even for Barb, she is not voiced it, but she has surgery coming up here on her hand, so we ask that that would be a successful surgery as well so that she could have more flexibility with her hand and less pain. So Father, as we dig into your word, as we uh, talk about some of the significant things, especially in the Lord's prayer, your model for us, we pray that we would be able to pray not better, but more informed, that we would be more more knowledgeable of what this prayer includes so that we can uh, address you in a more whole way and not strictly with just the needs that we think we need or we have to have. So Father, we ask these things in your name. Amen. If you would turn to the outline, it's going to be in your bulletin. We'll uh, make a a little alteration there that I should have. Should have done before. Um, Before I start, uh, we are not passing around the offering bag like we did last week. There's going to be a couple baskets in the back, and whenever you feel the need, you want to take advantage of that. We're not going to pass those around, and we're
3: going to do that for a while just as a precaution.
0: So, if those are in the back, and we we appreciate if you take advantage of those. Okay, going to the outline that's uh, in your bulletin. I should have switched a couple parts around, but we're going to be getting to that. But I would I would ask that you keep that outline fairly close because I'm going to be going through through that. And initially, I was going to be having this particular message be uh, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. And I soon realized that we would be here till one o'clock, and there may be a little
3: dissension in the rank. So I decided
0: that we were going to cut that message down and make two, and I and I do believe I have plenty for the message "Your Kingdom Come." And a bit of a, re- of a review is going to be that prayer is talking to God as you would a loved friend, without pretense or flippancy. Prayer is us talking to God. Reading Scripture is God talking to us. So when we pray, and I think all of you might have experienced this, that the adversary, the devil, loves to put thoughts in our mind when we are praying, such as it's not important, it's not as important as other things that you have to do. You certainly have that, or you'll probably have go through your head. You probably won't get an answer, or the answer is probably going to be no, and that is this whole arena of doubt. When we pray, we have doubt. Or finally, it's always a good one that says, you're too busy to pray. And I am just as guilty of that, maybe more so, than you guys are. But those are things that come into our minds regarding prayer. But make no mistake, prayer is work. It takes effort, and it takes personal discipline. And when you go to your outline where it says the Lord's Prayer, two parts, that should be first. That was my fault. That's not Jenny's fault. We're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer two parts. First, the prayer begins and ends with the glory of God, not with the needs of man. The Lord's Prayer begins and ends with the glory of God. And the Lord's Prayer is a skeleton. It's a framework or a guide for praise, adoration, and petition. It is not a prayer that we would recite on a regular basis, or even the, the very often at all. It was it was merely a skeleton or a guide. Now, would be fair for you as so an audience to say, "Well, I have to know that." Well, we know that because Jesus oftentimes went to pray. His disciples knew that he went to pray and they were very aware that prayer was important for their master and if he had recited this prayer on a regular basis they would have memorized it and they would have just done what he did and they would repeat the prayer but we never ever see that we are to repeat the Lord's Prayer verbatim. Is it wrong?
3: Absolutely not. No
0: it's not wrong but it is a skeleton and a framework for our praying. The first part and it's a two part. The first part is, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we want God's name to be hallowed. Today we're going to be talking about his coming kingdom, and we want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that will be next week. The second part of this prayer is totally different. It's give us this day, our daily bread forgive us our debts, and lead us not into temptation. Hopefully, (coughs) each of you can see the the great difference between these two halves. The first three are God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. The second three are like mundane. They're lowly. That By comparison, they're almost trivial. It's our food our forgiveness and our holiness. They're not nearly as big and you can see the difference. The first part is majestic and it's lofty. The other is not so much. So, what I'm gonna talk about now is I'm gonna go up to number two, our Father. Last week we talked about the phrase our Father in the Lord's Prayer and that is reserved for believers and it strongly implies intimacy, hope, and obedience. Strong implication on that. The, the word our Father who art in heaven is reserved for believers only because it says in John 8.44 spiritually unbelievers have another father and that is the devil. So our Father is exclusively reserved for believers. It is uh, This term has the implications of dispelling fear ...encouraging hope and removing loneliness and demanding obedience. The second part is, Hallowed be your name, is God's name is holy and sacred and is to be honored and glorified. And when you say Hallowed be your name, I went through about six or seven different names very briefly of some of the Hebrew words for the name of God. And some of those are Creator and Ruler,
3: Redeemer, King.
0: uh savior there's a whole bunch of them but when you say hallowed be your name it is looking at god in his totality and what that includes is all of the various aspects of who god is and now we're going to be going on to your kingdom come and i gotta say when i was when i was initially looking at this this whole aspect of the kingdom of god coming says your kingdom come is before This message, if I were to say to you, if you were to say to me, you say, Let's pray that God's kingdom would come. And I'd go, Not exactly sure what that means. I'm sure it's really good, but I'm not exactly sure. And it depends on, it's kind of like looking at a diamond, it's which facet of the diamond you want to look at to discuss. And it is not. It's not appropriate, and I don't have time to talk about a whole bunch of different facets. But what I am going to talk about regarding your kingdom come is the likely most obvious meaning and the one that would encompass the most instead of getting off into the fringes of what that means. So I'm going to try and stay fairly narrow in its interpretation, and not that that is all of its interpretation. It's just one of the main, it's like the boulevard of the interpretation. So we're gonna be we're gonna be looking at that, and as your notes would say, there is an a the past aspect of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. There is a present aspect and there's a future aspect. And to give you an overview of those three, I'm just gonna give you a quick overview, and then I'm gonna look at the past, then I'm gonna look at the present, et cetera. So the overview is the past
3: embodies. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob.
0: It says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11, the precursor to this is the faith of the centurion. The centurion had had a person in his household that was, was his servant that was ill, and he says, Jesus, would you heal my servant? And he says, There's no need for you to come into my house. He says, I am a man under authority just like you. And I say to one man, Go, and I say to another man, Come. He says, All you have to do is give the word, and my servant will be healed. Jesus says, I have not seen faith like this in Israel. And then Jesus says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham. Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So you're going to see in the, in the Bible references that I, give, that I give, there is a host of references to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And we're going to try and nail down what does it mean. So there is a past aspect regarding the kingdom of heaven that includes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's also a present aspect regarding the earthly ministry of Jesus. When Jesus came to earth, then we saw that there was, in another sense, that we were much closer to the kingdom of heaven. It was not everything, but it was a significant part of this. And you can see in Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, verse 21, It says, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Oh, that gives a whole other wrinkle to what is the kingdom of God, and hopefully as we go along, this will become clearer and clearer just what it is, and I'm still on the overview, The final overview is the is the future. The kingdom of God is yet to come. So now we're going to pull back. I gave you an overview, and I'm going to look first of all at the past. The kingdom of God regarding the past. History tells us that the world has known something like, and I'm not going to be brutal on this number, but something like 21 great civilizations, but all of them have endured only for a time. And then they passed away. I'll just give you a sample. Egypt. Egypt was once a mighty power but today Egypt is weak. It's unable to even uh, contend with the tiny nation of Israel but years and years ago it was really something. Babylon It was once mighty, but it's passed into history and its former territory has been divided. Syria. Syria was once strong, but now, in kind of a uh, not a joking way, it's now just an archaeological curiosity. People go and dig up stuff that reminds them of what was in the past. Syria is not a power anymore at all. ...Greece and Rome have fallen from their former glory and this brings us up to today U.S. and Russia. They're currently very powerful but they will not escape the law of God for history. Proverbs 14 says righteousness exalts a nation but sin is a disgrace to any people and in this tumultuous times does that not apply. Sin is a disgrace To any people. Pride can bring down a nation. An example of that is Belteshazzar, King of Babylon in Daniel chapter 5. Pride can bring down any nation. So that is just a little sampling of the past. Now I'm going to look at the present. And the present is going to be taking up the majority of, of this particular message.
3: I mentioned earlier, when Jesus came
0: closer to us, when Jesus came, it was closer. It was in a whole new way. But certainly, if you want to look at the kingdom of heaven and Jesus being in control, certainly if we were to look at the universe as a whole, one of the names of Jesus' creator. Certainly, he is sovereign over all the universe, always has been, always will be. But in, in the context of the kingdom of heaven, we're not talking universal. We're more talking being with people. We're not talking managing the stars and the seasons and the, the sunset. We're not talking about that. We're talking about when Jesus came to earth, the Lord's prayer was, your kingdom come, and that is ruling in our hearts. So I'm going I'm to ask a few rhetorical questions that I'm going to be answering, such as, where does christ rule he's supposed to rule in our hearts. well where does he rule well he is the ruler of the heart of everyone who has put faith in him the present existence of the kingdom of earth is internal it's in the hearts and the minds of those who belong to jesus christ the king and it is praying for the conversion of more and more people and in this sense it's praying for the salvation of others. i want to read a passage out of, out of Romans chapter 14, because it, it is very specific on what the kingdom looks like. 14 verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy, in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by man. So the kingdom of God is Christ dwelling in us, us being able to be a witness to other people. And when we are a witness to other people, it is those things, it is righteousness, peace, and joy. And in a nutshell, having the kingdom of God here Is having a transformed life that's what gives us the fullness of spiritual blessings now having said that I'm going to move over just a couple feet not real far but I want to to kind of give an explanation of some of the theological things that have been on over the, the centuries some people have made the assumption that because the kingdom of God comes whenever men believe in Christ and whenever they respond to the gospel, some believe that the Kingdom of God, in this sense, people having Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it will inevitably go on expanding till nearly all of the world are believers. There is a line of thinking in Scripture that, well, the Kingdom of God is when Jesus Christ rules and reigns in my heart, And as time goes on, we are going to be witness to the world, and more and more of the people in the world are going to become believers in Jesus Christ. Therefore, by extension, one day virtually the whole world will have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's how the reasoning goes. Now, it is certainly fair when you make that kind of an assertion that you can say, did Jesus
3: teach that? Is that, is that what
0: Jesus taught? In fact, no, he did not. In fact, he, he taught almost the opposite. And we're going to we're gonna fill that in a little bit instead of just saying, no, he didn't. Take my word for it. We're done. Let's all go home. I'm going to fill that in a little bit. So Christ taught, and I will fill these in, but I'm just going to get some bullet points for now. Christ taught that a large portion of the world will never be converted he taught that Christ also taught that the children of the devil would be present in the church until the end he taught that too Christ also taught that the rule of Christ would come in totality only at the close of time only at the end Christ taught that and one more Christ taught that the future kingdom of God would be established only by his power and in spite of the continuing and bitter animosity of men. In fact, Christ taught that men will not more and more come to the Savior. In fact, there's going to be a period of time where more and more people are going to Him, And the animosity is going to grow. So it's quite contrary to this where people say that more and more people are going to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior until so virtually the whole world accepts him and then Christ will come. Jesus did not teach that. So it is also fair for you as an audience to say, where did he teach this? Where did he teach that?
3: Hey, that's what we
0: go on. And this is the part that I've been waiting for. There are a, new, a number of things and you'll see in your outline the present. It has A, B, C, D, E, it goes a whole bunch of them. And so you say, oh my goodness, don't tell me how she's gonna be going all through this. Yeah, I am. Each one could be a sermon, but I'm gonna make it really brief. And you say, why are you gonna go through all these? Isn't that kind of like overkill? I don't think so, and I'll tell you why. It's because when you look at, when you look at a host of these, I have it right here so I can tell you which one. If you took, and if you would, Please track with me on this because I'm going to give you a bunch of information, but my role is to give it clearly so you don't get confused, okay? When you look at A, B, C, and E, A, B, C, and E all are a parable regarding a mixed group. You have believers and you have unbelievers coexisting. On each one of those parables, that's one reason why I want to talk about all these parables. So you, when, when you have A, B, C, and E, they are all with a mixed group. Believers and unbelievers coexisting. Also, when you, the, the letters D and E, they're to a small group of committed believers. But the other ones, A, B, and C, they're just to a mixed group. You have Jesus Christ on the hill giving the Sermon on the Mount. These other A, B, and C, were to disciples, just generally disciples. They were given to opponents. They were given to those who were in direct opposition to Jesus. And they were given to committed disciples. A, B, and C, they're all given to a mixed group. But then you see, in verse, I think it's 36...
3: Thanks, verse 36. You're gonna see where
0: Jesus goes into the house. Yep, 36. He left the crowd and went into the house. I'm on Matthew 13, verse 36. These parables are all in Matthew 13, and they go one after the other after the other. So as I said to before, isn't it a bit of an overkill for me to talk about all these parables? Well, I don't believe it is, and I'll tell you why. Every one of them, except the first one, the, the parable of the solar. Every one of them starts out, the kingdom of heaven is like. It the the next one, the
3: kingdom of heaven is like.
0: It's another parable. Is this is the kingdom of heaven is like. It's another parable. So they're all talking about the kingdom of heaven. So when we pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is God's kingdom? Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What is it? These parables say the kingdom of heaven is like. So it would seem reasonable that we give at least a little bit of an examination of what they look like. So let's take the first one of the sower. I can make a whole sermon out of this. Never fear, not gonna. Is we can just summarize and say. Not all will be saved. Not everyone's going to be saved. No matter how good the preaching is, no matter how good your witness is, not everyone is going to be saved. Letter B. The wheat and the tares. Jesus is no longer talking about types of soil. He now moves to types of plants. And when he he talks about the wheat and the tares, and that is going to be verse twenty four of chapter thirteen, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sows good seed in the field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And the wheat sprouted and formed heads. Then the weeds also appeared. Now. Don't be me, but I only saw it until I did this message, that when the sower sowed the wheat, there was just in the bin, there was some tare seeds as well, and they all came up. None of. Them. None of them. The sower sowed wheat, and it was all wheat. And then the enemy came in and sowed the tares. And the enemy in this parable is the devil. But what's interesting, if you do a little research on the wheat and the tares, the tares are called, I'm going to get this right, it's called bearded darnel. That's what the actual tares are called, is bearded darnel. And what that particular tare is, is a host or a fungus. And the fungus is poisonous to human beings. So when, if you don't get the tares out of there, it can ruin the whole crop. It would ruin the farmer. So it's like the devil says, I am going to plant tares in the congregation, in churches
2: who plant
0: the tares, in hopes that it will ruin the wheat, the believers and it will ruin them all. And Jesus says, leave them alone. Just let them be. And remember, I started out the passage, and I said, how many of these parables talk about unbelievers and believers coexisting? Jesus says, leave them alone. In time, the angels will separate the two. This is one of them, where in the wheat and the tares, they're going to be, Living together. This sowing of the tares was considered an act of revenge. In Roman law, if you sowed tares in your neighbor's field, the law provided for penalties for this because what you tried to do was ruin your neighbor's field. Intentionally, because you went out there and sowed these tares among the good seeds and there was a penalty for it. The next one is the mustard seed. The mustard seed of the leavened bread. That starts out in verse 31. He told another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Okay. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Now, let's let's be very literal, Jesus was not making a scientific lesson in botany. what he was doing is he was bringing out seeds and plants that that were known to his audience so they knew what he was talking about. We could say, is the mustard seed the smallest of all seeds worldwide? Probably not. Probably not. And it says the mustard seed grows really big so the birds are there. You know how tall it gets? A little over feet. It's not like it's this huge oak tree or this huge maple tree. It's not what the, the people could relate to it. We go, yeah, for, for the smallest seed, it does get pretty big. By our estimation, is it the smallest seed and is it the biggest tree ever was? No, no. He was referring to the people so that they could relate to what he was saying. And what it is talking about is growth in the kingdom message. If you were to liken it to the gospel, it's the smallest seed. Well, look in Acts 1. There was only just a few people. That was the church. It was just a small, it was very, very small, just like the mustard seed is very small. But it grows to be very big. And what is the church like today? It's millions and millions and millions of people. So it has grown a lot but then linked with this particular parable he goes and he told them another parable the kingdom of heaven is like it's like yeast or some of your, your versions would say leaven that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all the way through the dough what it's talking about le- leaven and yeast customarily refers to evil or to evil people or something that is in opposition to God so it's saying here that the leaven or the yeast is going to work through the whole thing which is the church the audiences you have you could say unbelievers are sprinkled throughout we go back again unbelievers and believers are going to be coexisting side by side it goes on to the next one is the pearl and the treasure. If we can take a look at that, uh, we're going we're to skip to verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Both the treasure and the pearl talk about the unparalleled value of the kingdom of God Compared to anything else this world has to offer, it is unparalleled in value. And when it when it talks here about the man found it and hid it, this is what we would call a day laborer. A day laborer is going out in the field; he's working the field. And what it does is suggest, it suggests neglect on the part of the owner or the heir of the field because they didn't know. The owner didn't know that this this great value was out in the field. So, So how does this work out in practical ways? Well, I think a strong case could be made for the owner of the field or the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They didn't know what they had when they were teaching about the kingdom of God. They didn't know the value of what they had. But you get a lowly guy like John the Baptist, who eats things that I'm not eating, and he's wearing clothes that would be inappropriate today and he is the one that finds the treasure he's the one that that propagates and preaches the gospel and then he goes to the disciples who
2: were just a bunch of fishermen? they were nobody
0: they were like a day laborer there was nothing impressive about them at all but they were the ones that, that embraced the treasure that they found the unparalleled value of the kingdom of heaven and it was taken from the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So I hope you see the parallel there. But that is that is a very probable explanation of this. Not the entire explanation, but a probable explanation. Then we go again in verse 45. It says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Again.
3: And the unparalleled value of the kingdom.
0: Then we get to the final one, the net, the parable of the net. The, the net also tells us there is going to be believers and unbelievers side by side, right till the very end. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net I was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. And when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. And they sat down and collected the good fish in the basket, but threw the bad away. And this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So if you have a net, and remember the disciples were commissioned to be fishers of men there would be fissures of men. So this fits very well that the picture of the net is you customarily take a net and you have weights on the bottom and it goes to the bottom and then they would bring it along and it takes everything. So when you bring it up on the shore, you can say you have the keepers and the tossers and you keep the good fish. And if you had sharks and crabs and rocks and other, you call it debris, throw that away. And we even do that today because there's keepers And there's tossers and in that particular parable you have the believers and you have the unbelievers and Jesus Christ through his angels will separate those at the end of time and one of the the discussions I read regarding the wheat and the tares is the tares will be thrown out the wheat will be kept and they're saying it makes it no more difficult to separate those at the end of time it's it's not difficult at all because we can envision envision it going through like a sieve. They gotta go through a sieve anyway. So you just go through a sieve and it separates those over here, separates these over here. There's no more work. You just don't run it through the sieve. It would be similar to separating out gravel in particular sizes. You just have a grid, you take all the stuff, you throw it in, and what comes out is the size that you want, and the rest of it's debris. It's not hard. So Jesus says no, don't separate out the unbelievers from the believers because you'll damage, you'll create damage. Don't worry about it, The angels to do it at the end of the time, it won't take that much effort, it won't take any more effort. It'll be easy. Okay, regarding the keepers and the tossers, it tells us that God will judge and and me as a pastor, or you as believers, are not responsible for determining the genuineness of people's hearts. Not our problem. We are to be accurate witnesses. We are to reflect righteousness and joy and peace, but it is not our job to convert or convict other people. So now we're going to go on the last one. When we get to verse 51. Jesus says, Have you understood these things? It's kind of like Jesus saying, You get it? You got it? Okay, then go. That's what he's, he, he's, he's saying. And so the people, what they do is once they have all this, then they can continue on and they can go out and be a witness to other people. Then Jesus, he ends and he says, Therefore, teachers of the law who have been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out all his storehouses, new treasures as well as old. And that is bringing stuff to you that is maybe old stuff, it's old truths that you've been raised for decades. And then maybe you hear something new that we bring out, treasures that are new, you go, I've never heard that
3: before. That's
0: really, that's really good stuff. So that, as teachers, the disciples were to teach the people, bringing out old stuff, bringing out new stuff. But I want to go to the last part regarding the future. The future. The kingdom of God, is seen today, is clearly imperfect in nature, and it waits for the future rule where the Lord Jesus Christ will be totally recognized, and Jesus Taught that there would not only be a spiritual kingdom during the church age right now, but a coming literal future kingdom as well. I and mean, he gave a couple parables to punctuate that. One of them was in Luke 19, and in 19, starting at verse 11, as he talked about the nobleman, is Jesus gave uh, ten minus five minus, and one minus, to his servants. And then the nobleman went on a trip. And sometime later he came back and he says, what did you do with the gifts that I gave you? And one of the ten doubled it, and the five doubled it, and the one had taken and put it it and hid it because he knew as was a taskmaster. Anyway, the charge there is to be faithful. The parable talks about Jesus is the nobleman, and he's left. And he's left us for a time, and what are we going to do with the gifts that he has left to us? Are we going to give a good accounting at his return? And the second parable really wasn't a parable, it was a comment in Acts chapter 1. It says, on another occasion after the resurrection, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? That's Acts 1 verse 6. And Jesus answered, It is not for you to know The times or dates the father has set By his own authority Put the bracket there In other words, this is what Jesus is saying You're right about the facts of the kingdom But it's none of your business To know when You're right It's none of your business to know when It goes on But you will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And for us here today, that is where we land. I talked about a lot about the kingdom, I talked a lot about history and not necessarily botany, but you know what I mean, about different different things. But we land squarely on that, that spot where it says, we are to be witnesses and bear witness to God's rule through Christ. People see that we are believers, whether they're in the city, the states, the nations, or the world. So I want to take all this and fold, fold it all together and give a summary. So what does it mean when it says, your kingdom come? What does that mean? Well, first of all, it means the conversion, where we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He resides in us. He rules in us. and He reigns in us. And because of that ruling and reigning in us, our lives, here's the key, our lives are transformed. We have righteousness, peace, and joy. And the second part of thy kingdom come is our witness to others, is people see that.
2: Oh,
0: they got something that I don't have. Righteousness, peace, and joy they have a transformed life and they go I want that I don't have it that looks attractive I started out this whole service today standing right now there and complimented you on what I see is unity in this church and make no mistake unity is attractive to the world do we see disunity these days? On steroids. So when you get a group of people, they sit here and they serve and they worship and they sing to the same God, and it isn't like oh, we got a little faction over here and a little faction over here. They all come in and they care for each other. That in today's day and age is a bit unusual. It is incredibly attractive. Think, just you, 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 you may some of you may be just going, yeah, yeah, yeah okay, we're united. Think about it the other way, that we were, and there was factions, and there was infighting, and how do you get rid of it? How do you get by this? You need to get along with them, and you need to be nice to them, and you shouldn't talk to them this way. It is a mess. It's a mess. God has blessed us with unity and love for each other, and don't take it for granted. Do not take that for granted. It is is an attractive thing. I said, first of all, the rule of God, the the rule of God, the kingdom of heaven means a conversion for us. And it's, it's a witness to a watching world. And that's part of our witness. And finally, the final form of the kingdom is not so much an event as it is a person, Jesus Christ himself. And I'll tell you what, when I see What is going on in the world, especially in the United States today, I go, man, oh, man. Won't it be nice when Jesus Christ comes and he can rule and reign in perfection? He can reign in perfection. And and all of this stuff that's going on, I don't know what sometimes justice looks like. I don't know what it looks like. I don't have to. Jesus Christ will rule with perfect justice. He will be absolutely Right. I tell you, where I'm sitting, that looks pretty attractive right about, right about now. So, we are going to continue next week with your will be done. I told you, you didn't want me to merge those two or we would be here forever. So, that's enough information. I hope it fills out in a fuller form what it means, is your kingdom come? Let's close in prayer. Katie, come on up. We'll sing one final song. Father, we thank you for the richness of your word, where we can take just a few words out of the Lord's Prayer and we can talk on and on about it. And for many of these, these uh, things we talked about, when we be the parables, we just skim the surface because of the richness and the applicability of your word. And for that, we thank you. We love you and we pray that we can be a light in a dark world, that people would see that from this place, we have something special and it's attractive that other people would want and we ask this